Who knows what threats may arise from Ganon's ashes? Ganon was defeated by the hero, Link. His plot to conquer the land of Hyrule from the Dark World foiled. Ganon is dead. His body turned to ash. Dead, however, doesn't mean gone. It is possible to raise the Dark Lord again from the ashes, leaving the people of Hyrule to fret. After all, who knows what threats may arise from Ganon's ashes? Link, ever vigilant, takes a quest away from Hyrule seeking wisdom. Hello, welcome to Legendary Adventures, a Legend of Zelda podcast. I am Paul Riley. That was my summary of the story set up for Link's Awakening as told in the manual. This season is all about Link's Awakening, and this episode is focused on the start of the game through the first dungeon, Tail Cave. When we first turn on Link's Awakening, players are greeted with a cinematic unlike anything seen yet in the series. It depicts Link at sea. He's caught in the middle of a fierce storm, his boat is tossed by the waves, and a close-up we see Link has the line to the sail wrapped around his arm as he struggles to keep the boat from capsizing. Suddenly, a bolt of lightning hits the boat and there's a blinding flash of white. A young girl walks an unknown beach. She pauses when she sees something we cannot. It's quickly revealed to be Link washed ashore. She rushes to his side, and we are shown the mountain that sits over the island. Perched on its peak is a massive spotted egg. After players enter their name and start the game, Link awakens inside the girl's home. She is Marin. Her father? Brother? Roommate? Whatever? He's Terran. He looks a little like Super Mario. They explain that Link has washed ashore on Koholint Island. He is in Mave Village. Terran gives Link his shield and reveals that he knows his name because it's engraved on it. Link's sword is nowhere to be found, but Marin suggests he return to the beach where he washed up. To get there, players just need to follow the path in the village to the south. She warns that monsters have appeared on the beach since Link arrived. Players are then turned loose to explore Mave Village and the beach to the south. It won't take long for players to notice that they're limited to a relatively small area. It's not unlike A Link to the Past, but instead of soldiers blocking open paths, players will find physical obstacles. There are rocks that cannot be lifted and bushes that cannot be cut without a sword. While Link to the Past was dramatic, with Link rushing out into the pouring rain against his uncle's wishes to rescue the captive Princess Zelda, Link's awakening is unhurried. Players can take their time, speak to villagers, some of them will provide hints, or even gameplay tips. They'll even meet an old man named Ulrira who lives in the village but does not speak to Link in person. He will only communicate by phone. When players do speak to him using a phone booth in town, he recommends players check out the library. Traveling west, players will reach the edge of the island and be forced to travel south. Players will pass by the library as they do. Inside, there are books that provide a variety of game tutorials. There's also one that claims to hold dark secrets and mysteries of Koholint Island, but it's unreadable. Another is found only in the deluxe edition and Switch remake of the game. It's high out of reach on a top shelf. Continuing south past the library, players will have to avoid Octoroks and Leavers and use their shield to push urchins out of the way to reach Link's sword. We know it's his, because his name's on it. After getting the sword, an owl appears. This owl is a further evolution for the series towards companion characters that will make their first full appearance in the very next game, Ocarina of Time. We saw the first hint towards this concept in A Link to the Past with hint tiles. Using hint tiles, Sahasrila and Zelda could communicate with Link inside dungeons. 
The characters of A Link to the Past were more sketchily drawn in terms of their personality, and the use of telepathic communication did not provide any real connection to them. Here, however, the owl appears to the player, and it will be a reoccurring character that follows players along the journey, providing direction. The owl tells Link that in order to leave the island, he must wake the resident deity, the windfish. It then urges Link to travel to the forest to the north. With sword in hand, players have a little more room to explore. They can follow the beach further east, but they will eventually reach a dead-end block by rocks. A hut on the beach features a talking alligator named Sail. He tells us that he collects canned food. This is actually a good segue into what's an essential quest of the game. However, the importance of this quest is not clearly communicated to players. It's the Straw Millionaire Quest, or Trading Quest. If you're unfamiliar, the Straw Millionaire is a Japanese legend. It tells of a peasant who ultimately becomes a millionaire by making a series of trades. He traded straw for oranges, oranges for fine silk, the silk for a horse, and along the way he saved a rich woman from dehydration. And his horse managed to impress a millionaire, who upon discovering the woman that the peasant saved was his own daughter arranged for their marriage, resulting in the peasant becoming a millionaire. This legend in turn is the inspiration for games like Bigger or Better, where players trade a small item for something that is either bigger or better to see what they can come up with at the end of a time limit. That in turn inspired blogger Kyle McDonald to trade his way from a paperclip to a house in 2005. Here the legend is the inspiration for a main quest that feels like a side quest, but this questline will be an inspiration for other Zelda games that will also incorporate trading quests. So let's start the Straw Millionaire quest in Link's Awakening. Throughout the game, players will meet characters who will provide hints about an item that they want. Eventually, Link will trade his way through a variety of items by interacting with these characters. The first trade is done with Mamasha. She's the mother of the four young boys who live in Mabe Village. Her home is in the northeast corner of the village. Speaking to her reveals that she wants a Yoshi doll to give to her baby. Yes, Yoshi is appearing in all kinds of games these days. In the southeast corner of Mabe Village, players will find a business that contains a minigame. This is the Trendy Game. It's an arcade-style claw game. In the original and deluxe version, the trendy game features four conveyor belts forming a square. Items rotate around on the conveyor belts. And on the center platform, there is a Yoshi doll. Grabbing the moving items requires precise timing, but grabbing the Yoshi doll only requires precise positioning. In the Switch remake, the trendy game features items laid out on two rows. The first row features three items, and they are stationary. The back row features two items on moving platforms. This game also features a physics simulation, meaning that it's much more possible for an item to drop out of the claw. The Yoshi doll is on the first row of stationary items. After acquiring the Yoshi doll, the player is never required to return to the trendy game. In the Game Boy version of the game, it features a variety of items that can be acquired through other means. The Switch remake adds a number of Mario-themed statuettes that can be collected and placed around Mabe Village. There's no reward for doing so, it's just for player enjoyment. With the Yoshi doll in hand, we can make our first trade with Mamasha. The Switch remake specifically points you in this direction, with one of her four kids standing outside the trendy game reminding you that his mother wants a Yoshi doll. In exchange for the doll, she gives Link a ribbon tied into a bow. We can trade this ribbon right here in Mabe. Just west of Marin's house, there's a house with a large chain chomp from the Mario games chained up in front. This is Bow Wow. He's owned by Madame Meow Meow, who also owns two smaller chain chomps. One is found in the main house with Madame Meow Meow. The other is found in a small dog house added onto her home. This is Chow Chow, a chomp that can actually speak. She wants makeup, jewelry, dresses, and accessories. 
you can trade the ribbon for her can of dog food. It's full of juicy meat. After getting the dog food, we can return to Sales Hut on the beach and trade for bananas. This is the last trade that we can make to this point, and we'll have to complete two dungeons before the next trades become available. While we're here in Mabe, we can also collect the first item in a game-spanning collect-a-thon side quest, the Secret Seashells. One is found in a patch of bushes just north of the trendy game. We'll find out what these seashells are for later in the game, but it's worth noting that this is the first example of a collect-a-thon quest in a Zelda game. These quests become a common fixture as the series continues, with a variety of collectibles ranging from the gold Skulltula tokens in Ocarina of Time to the Korok seeds in Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. After knocking out these quests in May Village, it's on to the forest. The owl arrives and points Link towards the first dungeon, Tail Cave. It's actually located south of May Village, but the key to open it is found inside this forest. While exploring the forest, players will find a raccoon along the path towards the key. Attempting to travel north past the raccoon will cause it to warp Link to another part of the forest. We've got to find a way around this raccoon. I can remember being stumped on how to proceed at first. I can also remember some acquaintances of mine similarly not knowing how to proceed. But there are hints to find as long as players explore. First, when talked to, the raccoon will mention that it's sensitive to dust and powders. Players can then find an exit to the forest to the north and east. A pathway leads south and it will end at a witch's hut, where a witch is mixing a cauldron and says toadstool mix provides powder for tricks. In the forest, players can reach a small open area on the northwest by passing through a cave that's accessed through a hollow log. In this area, players can pick up a toadstool. When players take the toadstool to the witch, she will give Link a bag of magic powder. The powder can then be used to light torches and vaporize many enemies. It will also cause the buzz blobs to temporarily become docile. Players can even speak to the blob. In the Game Boy versions of the game, it largely spouts humorous nonsense. In the Switch version, it actually provides hints to the player. Sprinkling magic powder on the raccoon causes it to turn into Terran. He says he ate a toadstool and had a strange dream where he turned into a raccoon. Hmm, is there someone else that turns into raccoons? Well, Super Mario is known to change when eating mushrooms, though generally it takes a leaf to turn him into a raccoon. Heading north from Terran's position, players will find the Tail Key. They then can head back south to reach Tail Cave by passing through Maid Village and following the path. Tail Cave has three Moldorm statues on the outside. It gives a hint to the shape of the dungeon. That's right, Link's Awakening takes a page from the first Legend of Zelda and its dungeons are shaped like objects. Tail Cave is shaped like the Moldorm statues outside. It's worth noting the dungeon music here. Link's Awakening continues the series trend of dungeons becoming more themed and more distinct from one another. It was purely visual in the first two games. A Link to the Past added unique mechanics on top of the visual themes. Link's Awakening takes it a step further by introducing unique music to each dungeon. Tail Cave has a nice mysterious quality to it. It has a rising four-note melody that repeats somewhere around 12 times rising in pitch before starting over. After repeating twice, it then goes through a trilling pattern that makes for a slightly more ominous tone. I think it's a wonderful piece of music that is really memorable. In terms of the theme of the dungeon itself, Tail Cave is fairly generic. It's a stone ruin. There are small Moldorm enemies, and the boss is on theme as well. There is an item required to complete the dungeon, but there's not any specific theming around that item. 
We start at the dungeon at the back of the body just below the base of the tail. There are doors to the west and the north. We first head west to find the compass. This compass expands the features of previous compasses. It not only reveals the location of the dungeon boss, but it also reveals the location of treasure chests. And there's a chime that will sound when Link enters a room that holds a key. After getting the compass, we backtrack to the entrance and head north. The dungeon map's found in a room to the east of the base of the tail. The room also features a new style of door not seen in previous Zelda titles. It's a one-way revolving door. There's an outline of a person on the door, and when Link presses up against it, the door flips around and drops him off on the other side. But players cannot go back the way they came. After passing through this one-way door, players can head east through a locked door. In the room to the east, players are prevented from traveling further east and up the tail by a hole in the floor. A room to the north holds a treasure chest with another dungeon item new to this game. In the original release, it's a stone slab. In all other releases, it's a stone beak. Link's Awakening revises the hint system seen in A Link to the Past. You'll recall in that game you could get a hint simply by interacting with a tile. Here, Link's Awakening adds an additional step. A stone beak is needed to access the hints. In the original game, the hint panels appeared as a broken stone tablet on the wall. In the deluxe version and the Switch remake, the hint locations are turned into owl statues. And additional hint locations were added in the re-releases as well. After getting the beak, players can head back west. There's a room between the eyes that can only be reached with a bomb. Inside is a chest with a secret seashell. At this point, I did not have bombs. I'm not even sure it's possible to have bombs at this point in the game. Players will have to note the room and come back. We saw a similar thing at the Link to the Past at the end of the sewer section of the first dungeon. To the north, players will come across a long room divided into two parts by a row of blocks and a hole. On the northwest side of the room, there are five blocks in a zigzagging pattern and a door closed with a shutter. One of the blocks in the zigzag pattern is separated from the others by a space. Pushing this block east a space completes the pattern. An owl statue nearby hints to the solution. The next room has two spiny turtles. Players need to use their shield to flip them over to expose their underbelly. Once players defeat the turtles, a staircase appears. Going down it leads to a side-scrolling area. Taking a page from the original Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening features a number of side-scrolling segments within dungeons. They're often used to represent lower levels, and they see players traversing from one section of the dungeon to another. In contrast to the original game, all of these side-scrolling segments are unique, and they span multiple screens. Platforming elements also play a role in them. Many of the Mario series cameos happen within these side-scrolling segments. After exiting the side-scrolling area, players will continue north to get the dungeon item, the Rock's Feather. The feather allows Link to jump at the press of a button. Jumping wasn't possible in the original game. It did however feature in the Adventure of Link, and with the pivot back to the style of the original game, a Link to the Past was largely devoid of jumping. Link could jump from an upper level to a lower level, but that was largely an automated process, and I imagine that some people may view it as falling rather than jumping. Link still jumps to lower levels from higher levels in this game, but the ability to jump on command allows Link to leap over holes and to reach certain items that would otherwise be out of reach. Rock's Feather also allows players to delve deeper into this dungeon. Past games have dabbled in requiring items to complete a dungeon, but Link's Awakening, I would argue, is the point where the series fully leans into the concept. There's one thing we still need to get before heading on to face the boss, the Nightmare Key. You'll recall in A Link to the Past, there were big keys. They were used to open big chests and big locks. Link's Awakening alters this concept to make it a key that is specifically for the boss door. And this concept will continue on to other games in the series. Most games in the series will feature some sort of key as a requirement to enter a boss room. Here it's called the Nightmare Key, but later games will largely alternate between calling it the Big Key or the Boss Key. We backtrack to the room where the one-way door exits. There's a row of blocks that subdivides the room. 
To the north of the blocks, players will need to use Rock's Feather to jump over the hole, and a key to open a key block. It's a variation on a locked door that's seen for the first time here. With the key block out of the way, players can head up a set of stairs and find a chest containing the Nightmare Key. Then it's back south, and in the room adjoining the one where we found the Stone Beak, we can leap over another hole to move up the tell of the dungeon. As we do, we'll run into the mini-boss of the dungeon, Rolling Bones. The placement of this boss is pretty curious. We're rapidly nearing the edge of the dungeon. In fact, there's only one room between this mini-boss and the boss of the dungeon. It is weird placement, as I said, but the fight itself is fun. Rolling Bones rolls a spike trap at the player. They need to use Rock's Feather to jump over it. Once they've avoided the trap, they can slash away at the boss. When it falls, it leaves behind a fairy and a portal to the dungeon entrance. The boss of Tail Cave is Moldorm. What else? It's worth noting Moldorm speaks. He doesn't say much, just calling Link an outsider, but it is the first instance of a box speaking to Link, something that we will see throughout this game. In terms of how this fight is conducted, it's largely the same as what we saw in A Link to the Past. The boss moves erratically around an arena, and players need to strike a weak spot on the tail while trying not to fall off the arena. The arena is notably smaller than what we saw in A Link to the Past, but there's also not that additional hole that was inside the arena bounds. If players fall from the arena, they will land in a side-scrolling room with skeletons hanging from the ceiling. The exit leads to the staircase in the center of the boss antechamber. The Switch version expands the size of the arena, and it makes it much harder to fall off. The expanded arena now has a cracked floor that players can fall through if they stand on it. I suspect no one will. Perhaps to make up for the decreased chance of falling, the Switch version makes Moldorm temporarily invulnerable after taking a hit. Either way, this is a pretty easy boss fight. Players will be able to defeat Moldorm after landing two spin attacks. Once Moldorm falls, players are rewarded with a heart container and they can collect the first of the game's MacGuffins, the Full Moon Cello. Once players collect all eight instruments of the sirens, they'll be able to waken the windfish. It's worth noting that the heart container is a required pickup in the Game Boy versions of the game. That's right in line with A Link to the Past and Zelda 2, where level ups were automatic after completing a dungeon. Starting with Ocarina of Time, however, the series returned to making heart containers optional. In the Switch version, they're optional again. The Switch version is in many ways less difficult than the original, so this allows players looking for more of a challenge to adjust the difficulty level by skipping hearts. Next week, we take Bow Wow for a walk and take on Genie inside the Bottle Grotto. If you want to follow along, please subscribe. Please also consider sharing this podcast with another Zelda fan. I'm Paul Riley. Thanks for listening. Bye.